Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hoopity doo. Hello. I want to call you guys something. I'm not sure. Whoopers? Woo. Wooers? Molders? I don't know. Let's marinate in that. In this episode, I will be chatting with Michelle Sayo. She is a maker and an artist who specializes in watercolor and ceramics. She's also walked the Camino de Santiago, an ancient pilgrimage, not once, but two times. This 500-plus mile pilgrimage, also called the Way of St. James, has been walked, that's right, people, on foot, since the early 9th century, and has been said by many to be linked to powerful energetic points on the earth called ley lines. More than 100,000 people take this intense journey every year to be part of this mysterious and long-standing tradition. It is on my bucket list. I've wanted to do this forever. And actually, in the last episode on Soulmates, I give a fairly detailed outline of what Shirley MacLaine was told directly by an entity during her Camino walk. She just sort of went into the way I perceived it is some kind of astral space and was told over a period of days on this walk on these ancient ley lines about the origin of humans and where she came from and who she knew in past lives and how aliens have been involved in our lives since the very beginning. So for some, this pilgrimage is an invite for all kinds of paranormal and mystical experiences. Michelle's experience wasn't like Shirley MacLaine's. But she definitely went through the physical, mental, and spiritual challenges that one does on a pilgrimage like this. It's like a Lord of the Rings type journey. It's just you and your backpack walking for days and days and days, weeks and weeks and weeks. Many people have traveled the same path and had astral experiences, intense lucid dreams, and other paranormal experiences. Michelle didn't have any of these, but she does break down this epic journey. So if you're wanting to go on this walk, if this has been on your bucket list or now just hearing this has piqued your interest about it, definitely listen to this because she's going to break down how it works, you know, what you do to prepare, what kind of shoes you need, all the, the basics. And then it wouldn't be a follow the woo episode if we didn't briefly dabble in some ghost experiences and Korean shamanism at the end of this episode. So, of course, we fly all over the place, but mostly focus on how intense this amazing journey is. And I need to stop talking so that you can just listen to our conversation. Okay. All right. Enjoy. It is a solitary journey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's also mm -hmm. like a spontaneous kind of thing to do, right? Yeah, it's very, it's very spontaneous. I, I guess like the first thing that is the most spontaneous is 
you can't have a regular job. Yeah, that's a big deal, right? Like I do these uh, long meditation courses and Mm -hmm. they're like 10 days and you have to commit to taking like 12 or 14 days off of work, depending on travel times and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And that's just two weeks and people freak out when I say I'm going to do that. They're like, it's impossible. But for the Camino, I think you said it's like what, like 45 days at least? Yeah, you have to give at least like a a good month and a half. So I mean, if unless you have like a really, really cool boss, (laughs) you're probably not going to have that job when you get back. (laughs) Well, before we get into the Camino, which I'm so pumped about. I can't wait. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with the woo. How would you describe yourself? Are you more on the skeptic end of the spectrum or on the believer end of the spectrum? I I do definitely think I'm a bit more on the skeptic side, but that's not to say that maturity towards the skeptic is 100% rigid. It's always in a malleable state, I would say, because I have these little superstitions that I do believe in in my everyday life. But my skepticism is more towards the broader things like an afterlife. Like that is something that I question a bit about. I sort of believe that life is a one-go thing. So say YOLO? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that this is a pre-game towards the afterlife kind of thing. I was raised Catholic, so it's pounded into me that there is a God. But I'm in the threshold of maybe there isn't one at all, but maybe there's a myriad of smaller gods. I like that idea. I like the creativity of your skepticism. Maybe there's not a big one-shot God, but there could be these like lesser versions Mm -hmm. of God. I like that you're open-minded and I, I think it's good to have Scully's and Mulder's on the show, you know, so we can kind of have the range. It's especially important for me to ask you about this because I know that a lot of people from my research Mm -hmm. have gone on the Camino specifically because they want to have a spiritual, astral, out-of-body kind of experience. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that wasn't the reason that you went. Why did you decide to go? The reason why I wanted to go was because I wanted to sort of break this pattern of the regular. I wanted to do something really drastic, something that might change me. And I knew what I was going into. It would be most definitely a really big physical toll, but also maybe that would bring forth some kind of mental enlightenment in a sense. So I guess I was also looking for a spiritual change, but not something that was given to me externally, but something that would be happening internally as I was walking. That's kind of like the the common thing that people say, right, on the Reddit forums and stuff is they're like, I went to gain some kind of insight and clarity. We should let the listeners know in case they're like, what the fuck is the Camino? <laughs> the Camino is, to put it bluntly, a walk that starts in the border of France in a little town called saint John pied de port I probably butchered the pronunciation. And so it starts there and you cross the, the Pyrenees Mountains and you make your way all the way towards the end of Spain and end and at Santiago. So that is about a little short of 800 kilometers. Should we, hey, Syria? How can I help? <laughs> How many 
miles is 800 kilometers? The answer is 497.1 miles. She has spoken. Okay, so about 500 miles. That's like no joke. That's a lot of miles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's all done on foot. And there's a very historic route paved out. So there's no getting lost. You're all guided through the path. You're guided by, is it arrows? Arrows that point towards the direction of Santiago de Compostela. And you just blindly sort of follow it. (laughs) (laughs) You're really putting your trust in that. But people have been doing this for like many, many, many years, though. So those arrows are updated every year, I imagine. Yeah, I think the locals there take charge of a certain area and make sure the arrows aren't tampered with and it's all leading to the correct path. All the locals really look out for the pilgrim people. (laughs) The pilgrim people. (laughs) Let me just read what I got from the internet. The Camino also known as the Way of St. James, is a network of pilgrims' ways or pilgrimages leading to the shrine of the Apostle St. James the Great in the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela. Compostela? Yeah. And that is in northwestern Spain where everybody ends up. So no matter which route you take, and you took the most popular one, right, which starts in Mm -hmm. France? It's called the Camino Frances. So Frances because it starts in France and then it leads to Spain. And that's the most common one. That's the the, the 800 kilometers, 500 Mm -hmm. mile one. Yeah. Tradition has it that the remains of the saints are buried there. Many follow its routes as a form of spiritual path or retreat for their spiritual growth. The Way of St. James was one of the most important Christian pilgrimages during the later Middle Ages. Like, you can lessen your suffering uh, by going on the Camino if you're Catholic. Quick question. You said you were raised Catholic. Were your parents happy that you were going on this, this pilgrimage? I mean, I was raised Catholic, but it was about the time when my sister and I entered college where my parents didn't push for us to continue. So we got to choose whether or not we would continue this faith. Both my sister and I sort of drifted from it. And it's not like this faith was that strong in our family. It was just mass on Sundays. My parents were happy that I went because they want to go on this pilgrimage themselves. But because of the situation right now at home, they're unable to. So it, I think they were happy because I went for them. Just the wrap up of that from the internet. Legend holds that St. James' remains were carried by boat from Jerusalem to northern Spain, where he was buried in what is now the city of Santiago de Compostela. People have been traveling this pilgrimage since the ninth century. So for a long ass time. And I yeah. think they say even today about, well, Without COVID, obviously, generally more than 100,000 people Mm -hmm. do this pilgrimage every year still. Yeah, I think the numbers are growing every year as it becomes more widely known. You said that that walk for you took about how many days? 45 days? I want to say it took me between 35 and 40. I think that's the average time. So you're doing like about 14 miles a day. Everything in Spain and in Europe is done in like kilometers in that metric system. So when I talk in terms of Camino, I can't grasp the distance in miles versus kilometers. Because of this walk, I feel like I know how long it takes me to walk 
a kilometer, but I don't know how long it takes me to walk a mile. <laughs> so like a slow Camino is 20 kilometers to miles. That's like 12 miles a day. And that's usually done by people in the more older age group. Or me. <laughs> so 12 miles a day. How many hours are you walking each day? Usually I would wake up around 5, 6.30 a.m. And then I would reach my hostel around earliest at 12, but then at latest at 3 p.m. So you're doing about a mile and a half an hour. What's the terrain like? The first day is the hardest because you have to go up the Pyrenees Mountains. And I didn't know this. But someone told me that that's where they do the cycling race, where they do it on top of the mountains in France. So that's the same mountains that you have to cross on your first day. Oh, no big deal. The Tour de France. <laughs> You're going to do like the uh, the Lord of the Rings style journey day one. So yeah. now that first day, okay, you're getting there, you're pumped, you, you like, are you pumped? Are you nervous? What are you feeling? Uh, you're scared and you're sort of like shitting yourself. They give you so much fear the first day they're like the owner of my hostel was like you're going to go up a mountain and your first day is gonna be like 28 kilometers long and that's 17 miles so your first day you're already starting with 17 miles and you're going uphill all day and then the last maybe five miles is downhill so he's like you have to drink water every 20 minutes or your muscles are gonna be overworked and you're gonna get uh like lactic acid yeah yeah <laughs> Super fun. So you're like, oh, cool. What have I done? The first day, like everyone's sort of excited and you have breakfast with everyone. And then you're just like starting to walk. And then you realize that this is not a joke. Your first day, you're carrying your backpack full of your essentials, which is pretty heavy too. So talk to me about that because you get to stay in hostels, right? And and I want to talk to you more in depth about like the different kinds. You mm -hmm. also have places to eat. Is that Correct. So you don't have to carry food on your back, but you do have to have enough water for a day of walking. Yeah. yeah. So do you have like a camel back? What's in your bag? There's water, like little snacks, like bananas, nuts, chocolate, and then like two pairs of interchangeable clothes and then like a pair of pajamas and then your shampoo, your toothbrush, your essentials. Yeah. And that's it. Like you don't want to carry that much stuff at all i bet you're like god damn it why did i bring that extra pair yeah, of jeans? like one gram is like too heavy for you you have two extra pairs of clothes yeah one to sleep in and then one to wear the next day mm -hmm. just the clothes that you're wearing right now doesn't dry because you're doing laundry every day too i was just gonna ask does it get stinky because <laughs> so do they at every hostel do they have a washer and dryer or they do, but they're really expensive. Like to wash and dry is six euros each. What? Yeah. Sometimes what? they're six euros each. Sometimes to wash is free, but to dry, you have to pay. Wash. What would you do? You wash them in the, in the sink? Yeah. There's always like a hand washing corner. So after you take a shower, you're like sort of refreshed. You go and do laundry with your hands. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So I can already tell my LA listeners are like, what the fuck? I only get three outfits and they're probably not going to be your cutest ones. And what are you wearing on your feet? You've got like, got to have some really good shoes. Do you have more than one pair? Or just one really kick-ass pair? Um, You want like a really worn in hiking shoe, like boots kind of thing. One that supports your ankle and then one like, slipper kind of shoe. <laughs> one yeah. that dries quickly. 
because you want to take a shower in them. Ah, yes, because you don't want your feet. Yeah. And whatever gnarliness is in those showers, <laughs> hundred thousand people going through a year. So, so far it doesn't sound super fun, right? Cause we got, okay, we got three pairs of clothing. We don't have a lot on our bag. We have one pair of shoes and we have to wash our laundry by hand. You've got your toiletries. You don't want to bring your whole facial routine either. So <laughs> <laughs> what so do you like, mean, Michelle? So maybe like one toner, like one <laughs> lotion, and then sunscreen. That's it. <laughs> you need to have the sunscreen for sure. Yeah. But other than that, like you're just going to be sweating that shit off, right? Are yeah. You, are you like a hot, sweaty mess every day? Yeah. Like the moment you brush your teeth and start walking, you're sweating. You've been like 30 minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. So you've set the scene. Let's talk about the hostels. All right. So you have three situations, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me what your options are and like pricing. Well, first thing, you're given a list of all the places you can stay the first day at the pilgrim's office. There's actually two types, which is the municipal albergue, which means that the Spain government is paying for them to run. So those are the cheapest ones. And And what are they like? They're all crowded. Like in a room, there's probably like 16 bunks. (laughs) 15, 16. Holy shit. (laughs) And it's all like co-gender. So everyone just like hodgepodge into like whatever room they're in. Oh, you have to have like dirty farting men. <laughs> yeah. So gross. <laughs> like some people, they don't care who's in it. So they like sometimes sleep only in their underwear. And it was a bit shocking how people don't care <laughs> about other people. Did um, you pick that version? I, you've gone twice. We haven't even mentioned yeah. that. Hold the phone. <laughs> have you heard all of this? It does not sound fun so far. And she's gone twice. Okay. So did you do the cheapest version one of those times? Uh I've done it like a couple times because the bad thing about the numbers increasing of people coming is competition for where to sleep becomes very high. But the good side is that they're really cheap. They're like five euros. So a lot of people want to go there. You can't make any reservations. So it's really first come first serve. I've had to stay there like a couple times because I couldn't get any other place to stay than the other option that we have, which were the privately owned albergues they're much nicer there's a choice between like a smaller group room or even your private room which is your own bathroom you don't have to sleep on a bunk bed and you have lock and keys to the room so it's like a little mini hotel Sounds amazing. That sounds like my favorite option so far because I'm definitely a glamper, not a camper. But here's my question, though. You said reservations. Do you have to make those reservations for each night in advance or do you have to do it that day? You want to make that reservations the night before. Okay, so you do have self-service out there. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Okay, so and then you were saying basically the night before you tried to make a reservation, you couldn't get anything, so you had yeah. to settle for mm-hmm. stinking farting men. <laughs> and so, and so I mean, it all depends on which city you go to too, because sometimes the municipal albergues have like sixteen bunks, but sometimes they're a little better, so they have like ten bunks. What was the worst one that you the were like? Oh my one? god, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> Well, the worst one was actually my very first one, which wasn't even a municipal. It was more like the private owned, but then the group bed. The one in 
St. John, Port, I couldn't get a space there because that's the most competitive bunk to get. You always want to reserve your space like a month before on the first night at that town. For the first night that you're there. Mm -hmm. Because then after that, you you can't like reserve all of your nights in advance. You have to do just that first one. Yeah. Well, you don't want to do it all in like one go because you don't know what pace you're going to go. Exactly. So like maybe your first one, you want to reserve your space. But I actually didn't reserve it because I didn't know anything my first time. So the place that I went to had like 10 bunks in and it was co-gender. And I didn't know who was going to be sleeping on top of me. Like, um, <laughs> my top bunk so I I even like hang my towel to give myself like a little privacy curtain but then in the middle of the night I heard the bunk bed screeching on top <gasps> like no. on the weight of the person on top and it was like a really tall grown man and I felt like the bunk was gonna fall under me <laughs> fall what was me. he doing up there do we want to know oh I think he was just like tossing and turning but then I, I like got up and then like right at the foot of my bed was like his clothes <laughs> no thank you <laughs> old man <laughs> clothes <laughs> yeah. was this your first time you had gone yeah, it was my first time. I bet the second time you were like, I'm going to make a fucking reservation. <laughs> you said it was the hardest day, yeah. right? Because it was 17 miles up the hill. Is there ever a moment where you're like, oh, what have I done? No, I'm sort of the kind of person that once I start, I finish all the way to the end, no matter what. So I never thought about, oh, no, I'm going to go back home. Yeah. I'm the same way. It t can take me a while to make the decision to do the actual thing. But uh, once yeah. I do it, then I commit to it, even <laughs> if it is shitty. So, wow. I can't believe you did it twice. <laughs> I um, mean, I, there is like a saying that once you do it, you just think of it. Like, like there's this yearning to go back, I mm. guess. When you get there, you said you kind of get into a routine, right? It's very simple. You're walking take a shower, you wash your clothes, then you eat, I presume? What's sort of different about Spain culture is that their dinners are very late. So they don't serve food until like at eight sometimes. And you're probably starving. <laughs> yeah. So you just eat whatever they sell at the markets and stuff. But once dinner starts, there's a thing called the pilgrim's meal, which is a three-course meal. And it's all cheap. It's 10 euros mostly, maybe at a bit more fancier place is 12 euros, but that's still really cheap. And the first course is like a carbohydrate, like spaghetti, rice, maybe a salad too. You get like a variety of choices mm -hmm. and you could choose one. And then the next course is a protein. So fish, chicken, beef, pork. And then the last course is a dessert. There's a lot of ice cream, rice pudding. Because you're a pilgrim, you get access to these specially priced meals mm. uh, in each hostel and does each hostel have like a little restaurant attached to it restaurants there are called bars and so sometimes the bars are connected with the albergue but sometimes there's just locally owned bars is it just clear to them that you're a pilgrim or do you have to have like a piece of paper that shows that you're doing this legit? oh no you you know <laughs> you know okay yeah. you know. All right, got it. <laughs> Were you afraid because you you went by yourself? Mm -hmm. The first time I went with my cousin, he followed me on the first one. And then on the second one, I went by myself. Mm -hmm. And did you prefer one over the other? I definitely 
preferred going by myself. And why was that? Well, it was firstly my original intention to go by myself. And I felt like I wanted to see if I could survive going there by myself. Even though there's tons of people walking it, there are long stretches where you're walking by yourself Mm -hmm. for a long time. Is that right? Yeah. So you have a lot of time with your thoughts and that's it. Mm -hmm. And that stupid backpack that you get very tired (laughs) of, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. The, The weird thing is that a lot of people do come by themselves, but towards the middle, you end up finding a group that you're going to stay with. I've read about that online that you kind of find these little clusters, these little covens or tribes. (laughs) I've heard some other people say that the Camino is actually meant to be walked alone. And Mm -hmm. that even if you do meet people, you have to always go back to walking by yourself because the purpose of the pilgrimage is to be by Mm -hmm. yourself. Do you feel like you gained more insight being by yourself? The funny thing is that the first time That's when I actually walked by myself the most. Were you tired Uh, of your friend? (laughs) (laughs) Or your cousin, your cousin? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he initially didn't want to go. So he just wanted to walk it as fast as he could. Mm. So our pace didn't match up. And also, he wakes up really late. Uh, it was too, it was like you guys were on the opposite schedules. Yeah. By the time we reached like the middle of the day, people are already finished with their day. So I was alone a lot on my first Camino. And that was sort of a weird experience where your body is totally tired. You don't have anyone to talk with and you think you're going to think a lot, but you actually think about nothing. Which I imagine is the point for a lot of people Mm -hmm. to stop the incessant noise in their minds. I mean, that fine, I'll do my own laundry and Mm -hmm. wear the same clothes every day if I can have, you know, Mm -hmm. a few hours even of that silence. Did Mm -hmm. you ever feel unsafe? I don't think I've ever felt unsafe because there was this this distrust. We understand what everyone's day looks like. And everyone has this sort of mentality of looking out for each other. That's Um, awesome. The locals too, they're very welcoming. I mean, they see strangers walk through their front lawn or front porch every day. And every day, 365 days a year, they're warm and they're sitting down um, just like in pain because of blisters on your feet. They ask if they could do something to lessen the pain. They give you like ibuprofen to help with muscle aches. There's no really any bad feeling that I've come across while walking the Camino. I imagine that it has a lot of good vibes. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years, mm-hmm. people have been walking this. And people also say that they that the Camino intersects with ley lines, which are like energetic hot spots, mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why the Camino is protected from evil doers or whatever. And people do say that the ley lines also are part of why people have that clarity of mind. And it's different for each person. Like for you, you said that you had these gaps of silence in your mind. Yeah. And for others, I've heard that they have had weird hallucinations or dreams. Did you have any weird experiences like that? I don't think I've had any weird dreams or hallucinations while walking. Oh, actually, 
there was this one night when I had a dream where something really profoundly sad happened to me in the dream, but I can't remember what it was. But I remember I was crying and I woke up crying too. Do you think it changed you in any way or it was something that you kind of kept with you throughout the day of walking? Uh, That feeling lasted that whole day. It made me feel like I need to be a little bit more careful. Like with your boundaries or? With everything, with my mindset of how I should go about the day, be a little bit more mindful of what actions that I should take mm. or pay attention a little bit more. I I'm just keep thinking about like, oh, you woke up from a dream, which means you were sleeping, but I can't imagine how you get to sleep after a long day like that. I mean, I, I know you're exhausted, but sometimes it's also new. Is it hard to fall asleep in like a random bunk bed or you don't know where you're going to be? You would think that, but it's actually the moment in my life where I slept like a rock every single day. Really? Yeah. And how is your sleep normally when you're like not on the Camino? I would say I'm more of a night person. So my brain is more energetic at night. So regularly, I have a hard time going to sleep. You do have a hard time getting to sleep generally? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I think about a lot of things and that prevents me from falling asleep. But in the Camino, the moment I closed my eyes, it was morning. (laughs) I haven't slept like that since I was a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, there's another reason to go. Jeez. It fixes your insomnia. I was calling it a coven, but you met a group of people and because you were kind of at the same pace and so you'd end up at the same places at the same time. Mm -hmm. Did those people have similar experiences with sleeping? On my second trip, I had a group that I walked with starting fairly early on. And I know that one member had problems with insomnia. And I think that was part of the reason why she came. And I think it was fixed during that time. Wow. So these people that you met with, are you still friends with any of them today? Yeah. So the group that I walked with, they all came from Korea. And then that same year towards the end, I got the chance to go to Korea because of my sister. And I actually met them there. Awesome. Yeah, and we still periodically chat. When we talked on our preliminary call, you mentioned that uh, in Korea, Mm -hmm. it's actually very common to go on the Camino. It's very popular. Tell me about that. There's a lot of Koreans that do go to the Camino. I think they're ranked like pretty high up there in the number where pilgrimage come from because it's more widely known. There's been like a lot of reality shows that centers on the Camino. And there was even a reality show um, that was filmed in 2019, where a group of celebrities set up their own albergue. They filmed them making them the pilgrimers dinner. And when I asked my parents, there's been a lot of documentaries from Catholic TV programs of people going on the Camino. So everyone was sort of like vaguely aware of it. And plus, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of books written about the Camino experience. And they sort of romanticize it as something to break away from the harsh, everyday, hard, like tiring life that a lot of Koreans are experiencing. 
So there's like this romance about it. But the monotony and the difficulty of those very long days mm-hmm. that are really common in Korea and other Asian countries. And I mean, in certain spots of this country as well, where people mm-hmm. are almost machine-like in their work, in their productivity, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. That it becomes this sort of like romanticized thing. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about what I'm wearing. There's no thinking, like you said. That in itself is so freeing, right? I mean, just just to have that simplicity for what you said, like anywhere from 36 Mm -hmm. to 50 days or however long it takes you, that's long enough to create a new habit in your brain. Mm -hmm. You know, so how did that affect you when you came back? Uh, The first time I spent a week in Barcelona and then my second time I spent like a week in Madrid. It's like travel after the Camino sort of becomes meaningless, I would say. Tell me about that. What do you mean? Both times I felt like the closer I was about to be done, the more I wanted to go home and see my family. Mm -hmm. And that just made me really thankful to have that kind of desire to go back. That desire of having somewhere to go back to is really important. It's either two groups that I see, like someone who really wants to go back and see their loved ones versus someone who doesn't want to go back at all, like who fears the end of the Camino. I was like yearning to go back to back to home. But the moment that I came back home, I had this new appreciation for what I had. That's what was easy for me to go back to normal life is just like this newfound appreciation for everything. That's an amazing lesson in itself. But does it last? That's the question. (laughs) I mean, that feeling of initial like shock of gratitude wanes as time goes by. But I think it's important to just try to reiterate that. (laughs) Yeah. When you get back the first night or I I know you stayed a week or whatever to to hang Mm -hmm. out. But when you come back, are you like, oh, I got to get up and walk? You know, like, is your body like now it's time to walk? No, it's more like, oh, I can sleep in now. (laughs) So you're like excited for it to be over. Yeah. Your body already knows the moment you step in front of the church in um, Santiago that it's over. (laughs) Yeah. And did that feel like an amazing sense of completion for you? For me, it was more about the process was important rather than the end result. So the moment that I stepped foot in Santiago, the city, it was like, oh, this is it. I know someone that that I've met throughout the walk that like they were so happy on it. They're like, this is the best time of my life. And then I saw them in Santiago and they're like so depressed. It was <laughs> I, I just think it's it's fascinating that you go through something that grueling and you're sad that it's over. And that just says a lot. You need to be more appreciative of the now, I think. I think that fear of the sadness that we have at the end is because we have this fear of the future. Like what's next? What am I going to do after this? But if you don't appreciate the now, like, oh, I made it here and I accomplished this right now, you're losing to that fear of the future. So thinking about the present is much more important, I think. I wonder if the Camino is there to kind of tell them that as hard as you can, because it's not always in your control, but like you've got to yeah. maybe pick a different job or pick a different place to live or a different change something. Because if it's that drastic, maybe something needs to change. Yeah, we all have to have jobs that we don't want to really do because of 
like financial needs and these obligations set upon us. But if you do find something that you really want to do, I would say that you should do it. Because if you do follow that step and make that determination, I think unknowingly you'll be surrounded by people who would support you Mm -hmm. and be happy to support you. I think that's a really good uh, point in my experience. It's like doing a longer meditation course. It's much shorter, but there's that same feeling when you come back that life is not supposed to be living me. I'm supposed to be choosing things for myself where I can feel this happiness, maybe not the way I felt there, like Mm -hmm. in that intense space, but a little bit of that I'd like to insert into my everyday reality. Mm-hmm. I think it's empowering. When you came home, were you more confident in that? Did you know like, okay, I know what kind of life I want to live? Well, I think doing that, this intensive walk really gave me a confidence that I could actually do whatever I set my mind to as long as I give it enough focus. And the only thing stopping myself is me. It it made me trust myself a bit more that I could actually survive something that I put myself into. That's amazing that you could cultivate that trust with yourself because we are all we have at the end of the day, you know, at the end of this life, that's it. What I've been told and I experienced this as well is that the communion could be split into three sections is the first is the physical the second part it's the mental and third part is the spiritual it's also separated by terrain as well because if you split the communal in thirds the first is like up and down up and down a repeated pattern so your body is getting physically used to walking this terrain your muscles are building up you're getting slapped by the land (laughs) and once you get sort of used to this up and down which is like give or take two weeks for this physical the land gives you a plateau it's called the meseta part of the camino and it's sort of like a desert in a sense that's like maybe a week and a half of just flat mundane land that you're walking towards and that really strains your mental scape while walking because you're so tired, you don't realize how tiring this flat land is because your scenery doesn't change. So you're basically living in your head. But then once this section ends, you go into the spiritual section of this journey and you enter a province in Spain called Galicia. And that sort of, I want to say, is more like a vast energy forest because it's literally a 180-degree turn scenery. It seems like this bountiful green is giving you energy. Plus, that's when your stamina is at its peak. So even if you're going up a mountain and it's like a rock mountain, you're with your 10-pound backpack, you're jumping. And you have this new energy in you that you didn't know you had. Is there a release that happens there? Or what's that spiritual transformation about? It's like a reward I think you get when you go beyond your physical and mental Mm. uh, limits that you set for yourself. Galicia seems more packed with history. The land itself seems so spiritual. So I think that moment where you're in front of something that has so much, that has been through so much time, you gain something from it, from being just next to it. That's where the remains were buried of the saints. It is. So yeah, there could be some energy around that. Others say that maybe it could just be that people think that it's there. And so Mm -hmm. because they all believe it, it kind of gives it a sense of that feeling of magic. But I love that part that you said about it's like your reward. 
I love that because in yoga scriptures and texts, they often talk about that. You know, you do yoga to prepare for shavasana and meditation. You know, it's like you get into the body, you master the body as much as you can, and then you master the mind. And then after the mind, you go into that field of wisdom Mm -hmm. that is indescribable. It feels like you're entering this weird space. The moment you enter Galicia, there's a plaque on top of a mountain called Osebero. It's one of the highest points of the Camino. And to pass that plaque is sort of as if you're entering into a force field. That's the feeling that I got from it. I love that. And the atmosphere sort of changes too. Mm. Yeah. That's part of the hero's journey. It's mm-hmm. archetypal in a way. And you were able to experience no thinking, which is, <laughs> you know, like, ah, I want that. <laughs> so yeah. many thoughts. Something that was told to me on the Camino is that while you're walking, you're having this conversation with your body that you've never had, that you can only have if you put your body in if you test it to its full capacities that's something that we're unable to do because no one really does that go to such extremes and so that's the conversation that you have with your body like what can you do and i could do this and so much more and having that conversation itself is sort of enlightening you think you can't do it but then your body is designed to function more highly. It reminds me of, I think it's a William James quote where he says something like, most of us don't know what it's like to get to the second wind because we haven't gone all the way through our first wind. Mm -hmm. It's like we never really get to see how far our bodies can go. I really fucked that quote up. But (laughs) you get the idea, right? Like we we just don't know how much we can do because we never test ourselves. Yeah. I'm really a very static person person <laughs> static um, I love that <laughs> even before my first one I didn't really train as well like what I would do is just walk an hour on the treadmill <laughs> I'm like, oh this is good so you told me about that dream you had where you woke up crying would you say that that was the most woo experience that you had or was it stepping foot in the energy forest of Galicia. What was the most woo experience you had on this this journey or these two journeys? When I went into Galicia my first day, right at the entrance, there's a chestnut tree. And that tree is next to a building that used to be a monastery. There's like a plaque there that says that it's of historic importance. And that chestnut tree has been there for ages. Like you could tell how large and how long it's been there I think the moment that I looked at that tree was when I felt like I was touching time or being connected with the past so that felt really special to me wow touching time like experiencing the past and the present at the same time and your future it's like you're at the yeah I don't know if you ever had that experience when you're young you look out the window and you start staring at the night sky and then your mind goes beyond that sky to our solar system and beyond to the Milky Way and then it just keeps on going beyond and beyond and the more your mind goes into space the more small you feel like like you're not even a speck in this world it's like this weird sense of you you're not really anything in this time you don't really mean anything but to yourself you mean everything because you live your life you're everything and nothing at the same time yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're everything, but you're also really so, so tiny in the scheme mm-hmm. of things that it's probably humbling, right? I mean, yeah. what is it with trees? <laughs> I'm telling you, like old ass trees, they can be very powerful. 
I wanted to ask you if you'll go back again. I think I will. <laughs> really? Wow. But I want to go with someone I really want to go with next time. Will you go with yeah. me? I mean, we'll have to check how our pace. You know, walking pace is really yes. important. I'm a really slow walker. Oh, good. We're fine then. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm a good turtle. <laughs> I'll be a turtle with you. Wouldn't <laughs> it be cool if we did, like, uh, of course, we couldn't do anything while we were there, really, without being annoying to the other pilgrims. But <laughs> if we did actually do it together, and then afterwards, we did a Follow the Woo video about our experiences, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of people who shoot videos. Do they? Yeah. Is it annoying? No, because I do understand that it's really an experience you want to capture. You look at it again and again and again. And even talking about it after you come back is really fun. So I do understand that desire to vlog everything. Yeah. All I imagine is some bleach blonde, like, bro dude who's a YouTuber trying to interview people. And they're all just like, leave me alone. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to find myself. But yeah, well, maybe I'm just throwing it out there. Obviously, that would take a tremendous <laughs> amount of planning. Yeah, a um, lot of planning. But it does sound fun. And I am amazed that you want to do it again amazing thanks do your parents think you're crazy uh no they're more like take me with you Aww. there you go you got to go with them yeah and my sister wants to go too so you gotta take the whole family that might be oh that's gonna be a lot of lessons there <laughs> family always teaches you stuff when you hang out with them for a long time yeah i'm learning a lot of things right now too. yes well with like the pandemic yeah we're all like do i still like you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's tough for sure would mm. you recommend the camino to everyone you know i would just let them know that this exists and if you want to go you should go if you don't want to go you shouldn't because it's not easy so i don't want to tell them that you need to go it's going to change you because that's also a responsibility that I don't think I could shoulder <laughs> yeah what if they come back and they're like bitch I was not changed I have calluses I hate you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I understand that and and that's pretty normal for stuff like this you'd say yeah here's the facts if you feel a, a pull in your heart to do it then go yeah. ahead and do it. But you you wouldn't be pushy about it and say like, oh my God, you have to do it. It'll, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the same thing as would you um, recommend your retreats to other people? Exactly. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're told at the, at the, the courses, we're told don't push anybody to go. If they're interested, you just mm -hmm. give them the information and they have to sort of go on their own volition. Yeah. Would you say the Camino is the hardest thing you've ever done in your life it's sort of hard to say it because I've enjoyed it so much um, it's weird yeah yeah but I would say that it's definitely one of the big cornerstones of my life yeah. like when you're on your deathbed it'll probably come back to you again <laughs> not that yeah. that's anytime soon but you know <laughs> it's like something that's important that'll come back mm -hmm. you know when they say your life flashes before your eyes kind of thing yeah and it's sort of cool because I have a standing tradition to do something different every year on my birthday something really dramatic and I've actually done the Camino by myself on my birthday last year so I started on my birthday wow when's your birthday May 11th okay the bull very <laughs> stubborn sometimes <laughs> that's why you get things done I guess <laughs> the Taurus in you I'm sure there are some listeners they're like 
sign me up. I want to go. What's the advice you would give them besides making sure you make that reservation for that first stop? Well, first of all, you need to research what you're getting yourself into. If you don't want to read a lot of things, you can watch a lot of vlogs, which are up on YouTube. <laughs> know that this is sort of like a selfish jump that you're going into. But don't feel bad about it because this is if you choose to do it, do it for yourself, not for anybody else. That's because, great advice. Yeah, You're going to feel more proud of yourself. And then treat yourself at the end. <laughs> With like a cake and a brand new pair of clothes. <laughs> it's become kind of a signature question on Follow the Woo podcast. And mm-hmm. it is, what is the most woo experience you've ever had? Like inexplicable, spooky, supernatural, paranormal. Was it the experience of the Camino or was it something else? I would have to say lately because I live with my family and we have our grandma who has Alzheimer's and dementia and she's 96 this year. Lately, she has been having a lot of hallucinations and these hallucinations make it sound as if she can see ghosts. Ooh, Does it scare you or do you believe them? I feel like she can see them because it's so blatantly there. Like she's talking with someone that's not there. And it's mostly children. Ooh. Yeah. And I know that she had two children that died pretty early on. It feels as if they're here to guide her to the other world. But that makes me feel like there's ghosts in our house. Are you unsettled by that? Or, or is it comforting to know that they're there to help her transition? I mean, whenever we feel that, we're like, oh, it's so scary. But it, I feel that they're not harmful. They're not the kind of ghosts in paranormal activity, you know? That's interesting. So she has full on conversations with them and you're just like, uh oh. Yeah. And she sometimes like tucks in child. Like when she's sleeping, she's like, oh, like, putting a child to sleep and there's no one there. My Nana also is struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult to watch. So my heart goes out to you. I know it's a hard thing to watch them forget things, but I do feel like they almost can tap into something else. Right. Their boundary is open or. Yeah. They're like not completely here. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Well, do let me know if, if you see any ghosts or if anything <laughs> freaky uh, develops in that department. I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely tell you. Now I have someone to tell. That's right. Stories. You have a safe space for that if you want. Oh, another topic that made me think of you was Korean shamans. is really interesting too. Do you know a lot about it? I don't know a lot about it, but my mom has like a couple of friends who had an experience, but they don't speak English. So that's the difficulty. I heard that Korean shamans, they accept a ghost or a spirit into them mm. that gives them the ability to see the future or ward off evil. And they're like very special people. Before they accept the spirit, they're in intense physical pain until they accept it. But if they don't want to accept it, they have to exercise it. My mom told me that one of her friends seemed like there was going to be a ghost or a spirit wanting to latch onto her, but she didn't want it. So she got it exercised. Wow. That's really interesting. Do they say that it happens to everyone or it just happens to certain people? It happens to certain people. You have to be chosen. Mm. Have you heard any knocking from any spirit? No, but (laughs) it would be cool if it happened. I I think I would be open to it. (laughs) Okay, you keep saying that. And then in a 
we'll, we'll just interview you when, when you accept your spirit. <laughs> Okay, listeners, did Michelle inspire you to walk the Camino? I know I want to do this before I die, but I have a healthy fear because I can tell there's just so many pieces to this. It's meant to change you. Whether you have something as extreme as Shirley MacLaine's entity experience or something as deep as Michelle's experience with feeling like she walked into that force field at the end, that she had gone through these three stages, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, that she walked through the energetic forest or the energy forest, as she called it, no matter what, you're going to have a life-changing experience. And that's always a little daunting, right? Because the way this world works, that it's, it's almost like to have that experience, you have to go through some discomfort. And Michelle, she's an incredible person to be able to go through this two times. You can find Michelle Sayo on Instagram. Her handle is m underscore y underscore seo definitely follow her if you live in the la area she's got two amazing shows coming up one at the angels gate cultural center that's going to be in april and one at the chateau gallery in august in downtown la if you want specifics about those two shows or you want to see more of michelle's artwork definitely check her out on instagram if you've experienced something woo on the Camino and you want to share, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. I'm dying to hear more stories about people who've gone on this ancient pilgrimage. Okay, that's it for this week, guys. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right,